Good morning. Hey, think back to uh, a time long ago, pre-Google Maps, pre-GPS, when if you're trying to go from point A to point B, about all the best you could uh, grab would be a, an old paper map and, and maybe some directions from someone you hope knew uh, the way. Well, such was the case back in the early 90s, just after we had moved here. Uh, our son Andrew was like five or so, and I decided to take my first trek from here to Yankee Stadium for a baseball game, armed only with some verbal directions from someone here in the church who grew up in New York, and I, I figured knew the way. The problem was that person in their directions never mentioned the word Deegan, which is, of course, the freeway that runs down off the other side of the GWB to, uh, to, to the stadium. So I sail over the George Washington Bridge and, and, and just kept right on going. And by the time I realized my mistake, I pulled off and started asking around for where Yankee Stadium was. I mean, we were still in the Bronx, but y you would have thought I was asking for directions to like Cleveland or something. No, nobody could help me. And the few that tried, it was just so garbled I, I couldn't figure it out. Well, after a while of kind of fumbling around, I found Yankee Stadium. Listen, it seems like all too often life and navigating life can be like that. You know, we think we know where we're going, but it turns out maybe we don't. Things are way more complicated maybe than we thought. Complicated, tangible things like our money, our possessions. Complicated, intangible things like our relationships, our hopes, our dreams. Heart stuff, mind stuff. Life is not easy. And just when we think we have it all figured out, just when we think we have it nailed, man, wouldn't it be great if someone would come up and sit you down and pour you a cup of your favorite warm drink and calmly explain to you to kind of talk you through what this, is, what this is all about, what life is all about, the whys, the whats, the wheres of this thing called life. Hey, uh, like, I know you know where I'm going with this. Of course, there is someone just like that. And his name is the Holy Spirit. He's very real. He's not tangible. You don't experience him with, with your five senses. But he's very real. And he's been around since before time began. He was sent expressly to you, to me, to every human that's ever inhabited this earth by the Son of God himself. And if you've given your life to Jesus, he, he lives inside of you. And more than anything else, he wants to reveal to you the Father's will. Especially the Father's will concerning you. He wants to explain to you what is going on here. What this thing called life is really all about. And to do that, this intangible Holy Spirit that's very real, very dynamic, is armed with something <clears throat> very tangible. And that something <clears throat> is this. And what is ultimately this well, you probably have a lot of these in your house. Maybe some you've hardly ever opened. Maybe others that are super well-worn. Some maybe you've inherited from, from distant relatives. Well, unlike all the other books in your house, 
this one didn't go out of date like a year after it was written. In fact, over 2,000 years after the last word was penned in this book, it's still totally relevant. Even in, the, in, in this postmodern digital age, and the reason it's still relevant is because it's alive. It's, it's different than any other book that's ever been in existence. And, and so ultimately, what is this? Th- this is the Bible. The written word of God. The, the word Bible comes from Greek and Latin words, both uh, crafted out of Biblia, which means books, and Biblion, which means the book. And that is what the Bible is. It is the book. It's a book made up of, of many, many books, penned by over 40 authors, of which they've contributed poetry and laws and songs and letters and eyewitness accounts, stories, historical documents, family histories, prophecies. The list goes on and on and on. This is unlike any other book ever written. And they've all been woven together, these different stories by these different authors, into an incredibly rich explanation of who God is. And that's no wonder, because ultimately God inspired every word on these pages. Yes, 40 different authors penned in. But it was God crafting it and designing it and speaking his word to those 40 to get through what he wanted to get through to us. Ultimately, the Bible is the inspired story of God's creation and his constant pursuit of us. Through Jesus Christ, ultimately, writes Martin Luther, the Bible is the cradle wherein Jesus is laid. And so with Jesus as a thread that runs from the very beginning of Scripture, check out out Genesis 3.15. Till the very end, take a look at Revelation 22.16. The Bible, because it's ultimately about Jesus, is a book of hope even when all looks hopeless. It's a story of of ultimate victory, even in the face of impending defeat. It's a story of redemption, even when all looks lost. The Bible is the living word of God himself. And when you encounter that, the living word of God, interpreted by the Holy Spirit himself, the potential for change is immense. The potential for figuring out what this life is really all about is right on your doorstep. But here's what I want you to take away from this morning. That, that potential for change, that potential for figuring it out is not a given. It's not, it is possible to read the Bible, respect its greatness, not in agreement, and move on to something else. It is possible to do that. It's possible to, to take this, the scripture, and make an encounter with it just some academic exercise. I got to tell you, after spending a total of about eight years and two stints in seminary, that's exactly the danger, turning it into some academic dead exercise. It is possible to pick and choose your way through it, take sort of a pair of scissors to it like Thomas Jefferson did, wrote his own Bible, took out everything he didn't like. It is possible to skew it with an interpretation that's way off base, like the Mormon church does, putting their book over the top of the book, making it mean whatever they want. 
you see the potential here for life change is incredible. But the potential for missing out is maybe even more so. Jesus knew that. And so one day, early on in his ministry, he gives those around him an amazing parable. And he's doing that all the time, especially right out of the gate. An amazing parable, a story to get them thinking about what's at stake when you encounter the word of God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record it. I want to take a look at at Mark's version this morning. It's found in Mark chapter 4. And you find Jesus telling the story to the crowd, including the disciples in verses 1 to 9 of Mark 4. And then he he says a few things where he kind of hopes they got it, which of course they didn't. And so he sits down with his disciples and explains the parable. Take a look at this. Mark 1, verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any of the parables? It's almost like Jesus is saying here, This is the obvious easy one. And if you don't get this one, what are my chances of... You get the point. The farmer... So here's his explanation. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only in a short, have it for a short time. When trouble or persecution come because of the word and impacts it, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And then this, others, like seeds sown in good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And so... In this story, the sower is God. In the person of the Holy Spirit, through the power of Jesus Christ, the sower is the Holy Spirit. The seed is the word of God, Jesus explains. The ground, the soil, is humanity. It's it's you and it's me. The fruit that Jesus speaks of here is, is his ultimate goal. It is his purpose. It's why he came it's the gospel it's the kingdom it's the things of the spirit that you can't see with your eyes or or hear with your ears so what's the point of this story why did jesus tell it you you always have to ask that see it in perspective here in terms of any of his stories any of his amazing parables well i think he told it to get four messages across, especially to the disciples. He knew the masses because the disciples didn't even get it at first. But his in-depth explanation here tells the story, and I think embedded in it are four messages that he believed were critical to get off his chest, to get into these disciples' hearts and minds, even though they couldn't totally grasp it right off the gate. Message one, have hope. This, This is not going to be easy. And I want you to know right out of the gate, have hope. All is not lost. The living word 
is being sown into you, I think is his point. Jesus, the ultimate seed sower, the creator and sustainer of life, is sowing his word in human hearts, including yours. I am sowing my my seed into your hearts, so have hope. Everything written in the scriptures was written to teach us in order that we might have hope through the patience and encouragement which the scripture gives us. That's Romans 15, 4. It couldn't be more plain. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. Again, in Romans 15. And then this kind of response to the sown seed of the word of God from the pen of David, who experienced it well out of Psalm 38.7, rather 39.7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Clearly my hope is in you. Message one from Jesus via this parable. Have hope. His living word is being sown in you. Message two, a warning. There is much, a much greater chance that you will miss out on his word than receive it. That, that warning comes glaring through. This is a hopeful story. It's also a very frightening story. Listen, the odds of your receiving his word and bearing fruit are stacked against you. I think that is a clear message out of this, this parable. I mean, look at Jesus' math in this parable. He describes four types of places the seed, the word, will fall. Three of the landing spots are bad, and nothing good is going to come of it. Nothing happens. No fruit. One of the landing spots is good. Tons of fruit, increasing fruit on fruit. Three potential bad spots with nothing to show for it. One good. The bad news is the odds for a fruit-filled life are not good. The good news is it is possible. And you have the, the power of God at work making it come. The key here, it seems to me, is become good soil. And, and we're, gonna, we're gonna go, going to look at more about that in just a second. A secondary key here is to recognize bad soil when you see it. And stay away from it. Don't become it. And so he describes the three types of bad soil. Three things to look out for. Hard soil on a path. Tramped down. And he likens that to Satan is going to come and take it away. It's the image of the birds coming and taking it away. And, and tied part and parcel with that is our own sin. And our own running away from him. Second, thin soil on rocks. I, Jesus kind of parlays that out to, to laziness. You know, that where it's very shallow, that we're not putting in the effort to receive the word of God. And then third, a thorn-infested soil. And he talks, he uses a powerful word there, choked, strangled. We're distracted, even lists some specific distractions. Now, I think it's the third type of, type of, tho- of soil, um, the thorn-infested soil, that's the most dangerous for us in 2018. I mean, Satan's always been a threat. We know that. Jesus encounters and talks about Satan constantly. Laziness, we, we know. We beat up on ourselves on that. 
regard. We've always struggled with that. But it's this third situation, being distracted, that we've taken to a whole nother level as we've created the ultimate distracting machines for us and for our kids. We've armed ourselves with distractions galore, demanding our attention, addicting us to things other than sitting down and putting in the effort. And, and I am guilty as charged. I ran across this quote as I prepped for this message this week. We cannot turn the wheels of life backward and eliminate man's mechanical achievements, but we can do much to simplify living, to free it from the domina- dom- domination of things so that we may be masters and not their servants. And then this line, be warned. The life of the spirit can become a thing full emptiness. An emptiness full of things. Now, you would think that quote was written last week by a social commentator. The fact is, it was written in 1951 by a Bible commentator I was reading on this very passage. 1951, and they were up to their ears in worry about machines. What machines in 1951 were so distracting from the... You get the point here. You know what I'm saying? Like, in 2018, if those people from... 1951 were teleported here, they would go, impossible. Like, they are just staring at something other than the word of God constantly. Distractions, our own laziness, lack of discipline, Satan, sin. Those are things that have the potential to cause you to miss the word coming. To make our lives fruitless. Message three from this parable. Jesus will never give up on us. He, he will never, I will never give up on you. Because he just keeps sowing the seed. Falls on bad, keeps sowing the seed. Falls on rocky, fall, birds eat it, weeds grow up, just keeps sowing the seed, sowing the seed. Jesus never gives up, even when the seeds fail to produce anything. Even when three quarters of the seeds are just falling where, where nothing's going to happen. I mean, think about it. There was no guarantee when Jesus stood up from his rightful throne in heaven and was incarnated down here as a baby human. But he came. He, he worked it out. He took a shot. He went all in. He gave it his all. And he continues to do so. Despite the pushback, despite the disappointments, Jesus kept going during his brief life here. And he keeps going to this very day. And that should bring us great hope. And great joy. Message four, the final one. Become good soil. The type in which the word can be, it's, as it says, Paul says in Colossians 2, 7, rooted so that we can be built up in Christ, so that we can be established in the faith. Listen, becoming good soil is super difficult. It, it is not fun. Good soil needs to be tilled. It can't be hard. It can't be stuck. It must be loose and flexible and receptive. And nobody likes to change. Good soil is always deep. Plenty of room for roots to go. Full of nutriments. It's got to be well fed. It's got to be unencumbered. The the weeds got to go. The work's got to be done. Nothing foreign can come in. And how does that happen? How do we become good Soil. Well, uh, according to Rick Warren, as he, as he discusses, and I'm just going to commend this passage to you, James chapter 1, starting in the second half of verse 19, James 1, 19b. According to Rick Warren, that passage running up to about verse 21, 
describes a life that is good soil for the word of God to penetrate and take root. Rick Warren says, such a life that becomes a good seedbed, good soil, must be quiet sometimes. It must be calm. Be still and know that I am God. I mean, he is saying that to me and to you. It must be clean. The emotional and the sin-based garbage has got to be cleared out. It needs to be dealt with. You can't sweep it under a rug. And it must be humble. A good soil life is quiet. It's calm. It's clean. It's humble. And he goes on to describe sort of a to-do list once the soil becomes ready to be receptive, which is found in James 1, to 25. And it's this. Read your Bible. That's obvious, but read it. And, and James says it this way here in chapter 1. Whoever looks intently. And then Rick Warren says you've got to review it. Don't just read it once. Review the Bible. And James says it this way. Continue in it. Whoever looks intently and continues in it. And then third, remember the Bible. And James says it this way. Not forgetting what they have heard. And then finally respond. James says, but doing it. Whoever looks intently and continues in it. Not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. Here it is in the message. Don't fool yourself. This is James 1 starting in that passage. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener. When you are anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror. Walk away and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. But whatever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the revealed word of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye and sticks to it, is not distracted in any way. But a man or a woman of action, that person will find delight an affirmation in his life. So let's act. That person will find delight and affirmation, ultimately in the action of being receptive to the mighty word of God. And to that end, I want to invite you on an adventure. You know, it's one thing to talk about the word of God, scripture, the importance of it. We need to dig in. We got to be good soil. Let's be good soil together over the next 30 days or so. And here's how I want to do it. I um, want to encourage you to look at the back of your bulletin and there you'll find some instructions that will hook you in through the church's app online, um, which is connected to a Bible app. And, and um, I, I can't like just run through the instructions here with you. They're, they're very clear. Rick Clark helped me with those instructions. If you have any questions, shoot me an email. But it will enable you to hook into a Bible study for the next 30 days. And here's the great part. We um, will be able to converse with each other about what we're learning. Not not a lot. It's not going to be writing a lot. But to just make some comments on the application point. It's limited to 150 people. So jump right in. You got to download the, the church's app. And then you download the Bible app. It'll hold your hand through it. And then connect on a particular Bible study um, that I uh, am, am asking you to join. So would you join me over the next 30 days as we not just think about the mighty word of God and being a rich seedbed for him, um, but do it together. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all the ways 
that you gift us and that you empower us by the mighty word of God. We thank you for the gift that this is. The gift that you are, Holy Spirit, as you illuminate it to us. Be with us through the rest of the summer. May we become good soil together. In Christ's name, amen.